0: Thank you Lord. Good afternoon Katie. Please take your seats. Make yourself comfortable. It's great to see you. We're all enjoying the early flashes of spring on their way. Enjoying the sunshine. Do you notice know, that the English always talk about the weather? Have you noticed that? We always talk about the weather. There we go. Well today we're going to be talking about our new series and that's getting up and getting active. We're going to be talking about is specifically, for my message today, we're going to be talking about discipline. Gabriel, last week, following on from the series, he was speaking about um, the two positions that we may be on, either seated by the side of the road or there seated in Christ. Where do we see ourselves? Where do we see ourselves positioned? Because that is paramount if we get up and get active and we pursue the call of God for our lives and we run the race that he's called us to race, to really clearly be able to identify where am I seated. Also importantly is to know where is the bigger call? What am I running towards? What am I getting up and getting active towards? What is my motive? What is my incentive? What is the bigger purpose and bigger picture of what I'm doing and why I am doing it? You know, we can fall into the ditch of two extremes. On one side, we can be completely lethargic. We can sit back and rest on the laurels of Christ's grace and all that he's done for us and never achieve anything. We're passive. We're sidelined. We're not in the arena. We're not in the battle of the life God has called us to be. But then on the other extreme, we could be so excitable. We could be so putting ourselves out into everything and anything that we haven't got a centralized focus on what we're doing or why we're doing it. We're everywhere, we're here, there, and everywhere, but actually nowhere and doing nothing. And these are the two dangers. But when we get the balance right, when we're seated in Christ, and when we're pursuing the things of Him and the bigger call, to actually then get up, it takes discipline, it takes courage, and to actually then to run the race that is set before us that we must be active in, it would take discipline. Do you know, we know when we gave our lives to Christ that we all were saved. We're saved in Christ and there's a process of our salvation. We work out our salvation. There's a process of being saved. But then ultimately, one day, we will be saved. Through Christ Jesus, the kingdom has come, yes, yes, the kingdom is coming, and one day, ultimately, when Christ returns, the kingdom will have ultimately come. From us being saved, from us advancing in the kingdom, there is a process, and there is a journey. But between now, our salvation, and to when we are called to leave this world, we all have a mission. We all have a God-ordained mandate for our lives. Ultimately, to grow in Christ's likeness, to reflect him, to reflect his glory, and for ourselves to attain that prize at the finish line. That goes with when we're seeking the purpose of God. It's called our prize, it's called our inheritance that we will attain. See, the core element that we need in our Christian lives, if we are to get up and truly get active with fulfilling all that God has called us, to be, your individual dreams that he's laid on his heart, your desires, the seeking of his kingdom, this will take discipline and the exercising of spiritual disciplines for our lives. The Apostle Paul, speaking to his young apprentice, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 4.7 says, Timothy, train yourself for the purpose of godliness. To train yourself is an active motion. It's deliberate. And we can see here, living by this advice, Paul, a man who practiced what he preached, passing on to Timothy. He actually writes for himself, speaking to the church in Philippi. In Philippians 3.14, he says, Not that I have already attained, or I'm already perfected, But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ, Jesus, has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And I pick out two key words there. One, I press forward and the other one, the upward call. The Apostle Paul is up, he's active, he's pressing forward deliberately, with intention, with a concentration of effort. But all that concentration of effort and his deliberate actions are all focused towards one thing for his life, and that is the upward call. We press towards... The upward call. That is the center of gravity of everything that our life orbits around. There are the words of a man. These are the words of a man who's up on his feet. He's not resting on his own laurels of Christ's grace. A man who had received tremendous grace. We know the story of the Apostle Paul. He didn't rest in the saving work of Christ Jesus. But he wanted to make his life count because of the saving work of Christ Jesus. He's not passive, he's active. He's taking what Christ has purchased. He sees the bigger picture of his purpose. He embraces all that Christ has done for him on that cross, and he's pressing forward in his race. A man of purpose, a man of discipline, and a man of focus. You see, it's said that discipline without purpose is drudgery. It's hard work, it's empty, and it's absolute meaningless. It's hollow, it's tiring. But when we've got that purpose in mind, it's a joy. The discipline is a joy. The most important thing of getting up and getting active and having a life of discipline is to firstly though, firstly, it must come with purpose. Apostle Paul, he had the ultimate purpose, the upward call. What, that is all of our ultimate purposes, for the upward call. But what is also has Christ placed in your heart, your unique journey, your unique mission that he has placed on your heart to achieve? What is that? But whatever it is, it must be for significance and eternal purpose, for the advancing of his kingdom. What is that purpose? There's a story, and it's the best story I I could really find to really try and uh, paint a picture and an analogy of what I wanted to express. It's a made-up story, um, but it it, it allows me to hook my point on um, the best I can. It's a story about a young boy called Kevin. And Kevin was nine years old, and his parents wanted him to play the guitar. Kevin would come home from school every day and as he walked into the door, his mum would say to him, Kevin, go practice your guitar. Kevin, with his head bowed, would walk towards his guitar, pick it up and start strumming the chords on his guitar, going through the motions. And he'd look out the window and he'd see all his friends playing and running around in the street and a part of him thought, why can't I be out there playing? Instead, I'm having to play this guitar. But then an angel came by the side of him and suddenly brought him into a vision. And there in this vision, Kevin looks up astounded and he sees on the platform of Wembley Stadium of a man worshipping God and playing the guitar. Kevin was so struck by this man, the way his fingers effortlessly glided up and down the guitar that he just laid back and went, wow, a sound that he'd never thought possible from an instrument to bring such clarity and precision of music. And the angel looked at him and said, Kevin, what do you think? And the little boy says, wow, just wow. And the angel said, Kevin, that is you in years to come. But first you must practice." That boy when he came home from school never had a problem running to that guitar every day and practicing because he had a bigger purpose. He had the vision of the upward call for his personal life and he wanted it more than anything. So first and foremost, we've got to have a purpose. Scott Peck, I like what he says in these words, he says, discipline is the art Of scheduling the pain and pleasure in life in such a way as to confront pain first so as to enhance the pleasure later. Many of the disciplines in our lives they are painful at times, they're not pleasant, they can seem to be inconvenient but ultimately we go through the pain to get to that pleasure. That man playing in Wembley Stadium that guitar, he played it so effortlessly because first he took himself through the discipline of years and years of training. Some people see disciplines as an annoyance, a hindrance and a part of their life that steals their joy and prevents them from doing what they ultimately want to do. But on the contrary, on the contrary, it will bring you into the fullness of what you desire to do. Winston Churchill said, mountaintops inspire leaders, but valleys mature them. It's the valleys that we go through of discipline that will mature us to ultimately achieve what is placed on our heart to achieve. We've got to go through the valley of discipline to get to the mountaintop of what God has placed in your hearts. I know a story and an analogy that, again, that I see of myself. And There was a part when I was a young soldier, and there was a, quite an intense uh, phase of, uh, of military exercise that we had to do. A part of this journey was a 64-kilometer march with 80 pounds on our backs that we had to do in 20 hours, starting off at night, going over the Welsh mountains. Approximately 50 kilometers into the march, there's something called VW Mountain. VW Mountain is something we all dreaded. We would have been physically tired and physically exhausted. We would have already covered that day, 24 kilometers, and now we were tasked to run another 64 kilometers, going through the night, going through the day, and creeping back into the, to the early evening again. 50-odd kilometers into the journey, this VW Mountain. It was named VW Mountain. Originally, I thought it was because of its shape. It was like a V. But I later learned that it was called VW Mountain because it's called voluntary withdrawal. People get to the base of that mountain, and they voluntarily withdraw. And they say, no more for me, thank you very much. And as I got to the top of VW Mountain, my body was in shatters, little sleep, I was hurting, I was injured, I was on heavy painkillers, my eyes were like saucers, and as I looked down into VW Mountain, I had to work my way down to the base of the valley, and I thought, this isn't too bad. As I got to the base of the valley, and I went to look up of where I then had to go, all I saw before me was a wall of hill a wall of hill, and my legs were so drained, I thought to myself, I cannot even put one foot in front of the other, let alone climb to the very top of that hill. And as I looked down to my right, the valley leaded down to the road, and on the end of that road is a van there waiting for you, with a nice cup of tea, a nice doughnut, <laughs> and they beckon you in. It's very tempting. But I looked back up to this hill, I looked back at the van, I looked back up the hill I thought, Lord, give me strength, please. I took one foot in front of the other and slowly made my way up the hill. You see, my destiny, and I knew what everything God had placed in my heart, was on the other side of that hill. And I wanted it more than anything. I wanted it even more than a donut at that very point, And that's saying a lot because I was hungry and I was thirsty and I wanted the sugars back in my body. But I knew I had to do it. I had a purpose. And I knew it would take discipline to do it. And it took discipline to put that one foot in front of the other. How painful and how in pain I was. But I refused to quit. You see, many people want the glory of the mountaintop but they're not wanting to go through the valley of hurt, despair on occasions, and the everyday routine of the disciplines, which the disciplines are, to get to the ultimate prize at the top and beyond of that mountain. You see, the person who wants to be a great singer needs to go through the practice so they can ultimately then get the freedom of being able to sing so freely. And people look at a great singer and they make it look so easy, don't they? But we don't realize behind the scenes the hours and the hours and the hours of practice and occasions disheartening, times they've had and setbacks they've had to achieve that. The great athlete that we see in the Olympics To get the freedom for them to perform like they desire to perform, they've got to go through the discipline. A musician to play freely and effortlessly has got to go through the discipline. A writer to write his book that he's always dreamed of writing has got to get into the discipline of every day putting his pen to paper to write that book. The student that wants to achieve his exams to get into his desired university, cannot always go out playing with his friends, but he's got to get himself locked away in that bedroom and he's got to study those books. It's hard at the time, but it will end up to being the freedom he needs to attaining his goal, an ultimate dream. When people are not willing to discipline themselves, they live in a fantasy Of achieving a dream. They dream of this dream but are never really willing to get down to do what's required step by step, day by day to achieve it. And after a while as they see their days starting to creep away and their dream becoming more and more of a fantasy and less and less and less of a reality, they begin to get angry and they begin to get bitter and there's a chance that we begin to get jealous of others who have taken the time to get disciplined, who have taken the time to put time aside and not seek the temporal pleasures, but are focused on the eternal pleasures. And they get jealous, they get angry, and they get frustrated, and it brings a bitterness. But I want to tell you that there's always time. There's always time. Redeem the time. Draw a line in the stand. If that speaks to you here today, you can make that commitment tomorrow. He will redeem the time, and he'll work everything together for your good. It just needs that desire and overwhelming passion to get down and begin. 1 Timothy 4.7 again says, Train, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. So let's specifically look here today in the context of godliness. That is our ultimate goal. Growing in the image and likeness of Christ, growing into godliness. And Hebrews 12:14 commands us to strive for peace with everyone. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. You see these two scriptures tie up. Tim Paul is saying, train yourself for the purpose of godliness. And the writer of Hebrews is saying here, Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So the link there is godliness. Godliness and discipline will bring us to a place of attaining that holiness so that we may see the Lord. We want to see the Lord here, don't we? We want to see him, not just in the age to come, but now. More and more of this age. More and more of Christ in you today. The daily spiritual disciplines in our lives, they provide a mere framework to aid you with growing in godliness and to see the Lord. And that's exactly what it is. It's just a framework. It's not an end in itself. Because that ultimately can lead to legalism. If we think we can just do the disciplines and that will make me a godly person. No, no. The disciplines, they're just a framework for the ultimate purpose to contain the spirit of god and to direct it accordingly we do not do the disciplines to earn godliness the disciplines are a means to support and to promote godliness in our lives as believers we are already qualified to see the lord by the lord and not by what we do you see i've got a picture an analogy of a dam I was walking over the hills once and I looked up and I saw a huge huge dam and just at that moment the dam opened up I don't know what they call it the doors of the dam and the water from a great height just began to pour out and made such a crashing thumping noise it was an awesome and that's what I see the god is pouring out his spirit god pours out his life into us. There's nothing we can do to achieve that. But what we can do is provide the framework to contain it. We can provide the framework to hold that living water. And the disciplines do just that. The disciplines allow us to contain it and then very importantly to channel it in the correct direction. Because without the framework and the strong walls of that dam, the rainwater would just be scattered everywhere. It won't reside, it won't build up and build the strength needed and to achieve its ultimate purpose and to direct that power and that spirit. But the disciplines are like the walls of the dam that allow us to contain that very life of God. A dam is just its structure. It's meaningless without the water that it's designed to hold. And that's what the the disciplines are. They're meaningless without ultimate purpose of containing and being used to channel the spirit and the life of God. You see, the disciplines are for our personal benefit. To contain, to nurture, to tune, and to direct the spirit and the life of God in our lives. So what are a few of the benefits of these disciplines for your and I, my life? Firstly, they aid the promotion of growth. They aid the promotion of growth in our lives. The disciplines are not all just about doing, but about being. But the doing will allow you to enter further into the being. The disciplines will take us deeper into the gospel and the gospel deeper into us. The regular discipline of these disciplines will keep you sharp. They will keep you on track. They will keep you in your lane and they will keep you focused in that lane and on the ultimate purpose. We see the picture behind me here of the lanes. That is the journey that we're all in. We've all got our unique path to take. When you gave your life to Christ, you were given a lane number, and you're focused towards the finish line. The disciplines are there like the lines in that lane that will keep you fixed, that will keep you aligned, that will keep you focused on the end goal. But remember, the key to these disciplines is the motive and the purpose. Why am I doing them? Just like playing a guitar without the purpose of music, it is pointless. And so are the spiritual disciplines for the purpose of godliness. Without the idea and the emphasis of growing more and more into the image and likeness of Christ and in growing in in godliness, then it is also fruitless. A good friend of Billy Graham and a missionary in the 1900s said we need the rugged strength of Christian character that can only come from discipline. The idea of the disciplines is to make you do what you don't want to do in order to achieve what you've always wanted to achieve. Somebody once said to me that's always spoke to my heart, he said, Chris, don't you sacrifice what you want most for what you want now. Don't sacrifice what you want most in your life for what you want now. And that's the temptation that we will always face. We will always desire the things of the temporal, the things of now that promise so much. But in that instance, we get out of our lane and we lose what we ultimately want. And the idea, the idea of the disciplines is to make you do what you don't want to do in order to achieve what you've always wanted to do. So what are some of these spiritual disciplines that we can apply to our lives? I don't centrally just want to focus on these today, but just give you more of an idea, and maybe in your own time you can go away and look into these and begin to implement these in your life if you have not already um, doing that. But again, there may be some others here that you can begin to incorporate into your everyday routine and weekly routines some of the disciplines for our lives that we need to make a part of our daily spiritual training that I can see through the word of God and have extracted is Bible reading. Reading and meditating on the word of God. Prayer. Worship. Evangelism. Service. Stewardship. Fasting silence and solitude, journaling and learning. You know, discipline in the original Greek word is gymnasia, from where we get the word gymnasium from. And just like we do in a physical gym today, all of these disciplines are like the different varying exercises that we carry out in the gym when we're doing our exercise. They all contribute to a strong and well-rounded, healthy body. You know, if we exercise one part of the body and we don't exercise the other, we become distorted. We come out of shape. We become unproductive and unfruitful in what we're doing. But when we have a good holistic balance of spiritual or natural exercise, then we become a whole, complete, well-rounded, mature person. And that's what it is for the spiritual disciplines. These spiritual disciplines throughout our lives allow us and cater for us to have a holistic, strong, well-rounded faith and everyday discipline. Strong and mature. That discipline, being gymnasia in the original Greek, is the exercises we need, the spiritual disciplines we need to become strong, wholehearted, holistic believers in our life, in like manner, these spiritual disciplines, they provide the means for us to be spiritually fit. They allow us to be in tune, sensitive to the spirit, all-round conditioning. So we're strong spiritual athletes and we're strong all-rounded spiritual soldiers in engaging in what God has called us to engage in. Just like the physical, it takes good diet though. It takes planning. It takes balance. It takes dedication, it takes routine, it takes repetition, it takes knowledge, it takes resilience, it takes perseverance. It's not easy, but it's worth it. So what I see three major ways in which we can grow as believers. Three major ways, but not exclusively, but these are the three that I notice: Proverbs 21:17. By his iron sharpens iron, so one person, the other. That's one means to us for spiritual growth. Romans 8.28, by all things work together for good for those who love him, accord to his purpose. That is another means of spiritual growth, circumstances and situations in our lives, and God working it together all for our good. I'd say they're great, and they're important, and they happen, and they'll always happen. But I think we can save ourselves a lot of pain by the third one, and that is going through our daily disciplines. Going through daily spiritual disciplines is another key way for spiritual growth. And I believe the more that we are sensitive to God, the more we apply these disciplines every day in our lives the less God potentially is going to have to use Romans 8:28 in our lives, bringing about circumstances and situations to refine us. He will ultimately do that, but I think sometimes we can minimize sometimes the pain on our Christian journeys by first of all being faithful, first being obedient, being first sensitive in our daily reading and our daily prayer, to hear first and foremost what God is saying. So he doesn't have to bring about and orchestrate circumstances, and situations, and align us to go through, on occasions, let's face it, not always easy, times, to teach us the lesson that he wants to teach us, that we could attain all along, through being faithful and applying the spiritual disciplines every day. And thirdly, yes, our spiritual disciplines. You see that two of these are external. The first two are external means. But the third, the spiritual disciplines, that's an internal work. That takes self-control. That takes discipline. That is us being obedient first and foremost. Being proactive rather than having to be reactive to what God is doing in our lives. William Barclay, in one of his commentaries on the book of Matthew, said, Nothing was ever achieved without discipline. Any man has been ruined, many a man has been ruined because he abandoned discipline and let himself grow slack. I have a picture just as I'm speaking there of, of, of the virgins, the ten virgins. Some of them allowed their lives to get a little bit, they lacked the discipline, didn't they? They got distracted. They didn't keep the oil in their lanterns but the others were disciplined, they were focused, they stayed attuned to what God was doing. We can't afford to grow slack. We've got to stay sensitive in this time to what God is doing. One of the primary ways we can do that is by every day having the spiritual disciplines a part of our everyday routine. But William Barclay, in this book, he goes on to speak about a man. And this man is called Coleridge. And he's an English poet, and he was an English poet in the late um, 1700s, early 1800s. And the reason I know this man is because, I don't know him personally, but I've heard of him because he lives just about half an hour in Ottery St. Mary in Devon from where I used to live and where I used to go to church. And William Barclay speaks of this man, and he says these words. Coleridge, he left Cambridge University to join the army but he left the army because of in spite of all his great knowledge and intelligence he could not rub down a horse he then returned to oxford and left without a degree he began a paper called the watchman which lived for 10 numbers then died it has been said of him he lost himself in visions of work to be done that always remained just that to be done Coleridge had a very prophetic gift but one the gift of sustained and concentrated effort in his head and in his mind he had all kinds of books but the books were never composed outside of Coleridge's mind because he would not face the discipline of sitting down and writing them out you see when we start our race and our journey and we're stood on the starting line passion and excitement pays a big price it is valuable in our journey it gets us up and it gets us initially going and like in any race our adrenaline is going and we're excited and we're pressing forward but eventually that will begin to wane and the thing that will then sustain us will be just the concentration of effort of focusing on our daily spiritual disciplines to keep the momentum. We won't always feel like it, but it's not about feeling. It's about doing what's right. If you focus on your spiritual disciplines, your disciplines will look after you. Vance Haver said these words as well. The alternative to discipline disaster. For me when I look at the word of God I see a man who headed into disaster and that man was Samson. As great as Samson was and the gifting that he had he was a man who who lacked direction and he lacked discipline. In Judges 14.1 it says that Samson went down to Timnah And he saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. He went down. And this is where Samson went down, geographically and spiritually from this point. Instead of being disciplined to stay in the territory of Israel that he was meant to do, his eyes wandered, he got distracted, and he went down into Philistine territory and found a Philistine woman that was forbidden for him. He went down into the enemy territory because he lacked the discipline and ultimately the direction that he needed. Samson was a man who was led by his own desires and his own passions. He lost the right motives and the passions. He lacked any discipline physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally, a great gifting but he was aimless, a man driven by his own passions, which led to an incredibly gifted man falling. He could set a field on fire, but he could not discipline his own lusts. He could kill a lion and a thousand men, but could not control his own feelings. He could break the shackles from the wrists, but grew weaker in his soul every day. See, the spiritual disciplines will keep you on track. It will get you into the groove that's hard to break out of. Once we've established, and they say it takes over four to six weeks to, to establish a habit, to establish a pattern and a routine, and that's the toughest phase for anything. For those who've gone to the gym or those who've, who've done a, a discipline before and you, you drift away from it, to get back into that routine again, those first few weeks, it's hard, isn't it? It takes extra effort to get yourself into that momentum and get yourself into that routine. But once you've got your momentum, once you've got the rhythm, once you've got the routine, it becomes easier, doesn't it? It becomes easier and easier. And that's what we need to do. We need to establish that groove that is hard to get out of. We need to establish ourselves in the lane that is hard to be drawn away from. The Apostle Paul, though, on the other hand, if there was somebody like Samson who lacked discipline, who lacked purpose, was aimless, the man called the Apostle Paul was probably 180 degrees the opposite, wasn't he? He was a man who had phenomenal discipline, a man of phenomenal courage, and a man with a phenomenal focus. He pressed forward to the upward call we read earlier in that scripture. And that's here his words here in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. Listen to his heart and what he's saying here. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body. And I bring it in to subjection. There's a man who had a focus. There's a man who was disciplined and focused in what he had to do. Paul, there, in Corinthians, is writing to the church in Corinth. And Corinth was a city where back in those times they held the Isthmian Games. Now the Isthmian Games are very similar to what we would understand now to be the Olympic Games. A huge, huge uh, an event and deeply ingrained in the culture of, of, of Greece during that time. He must have looked at the great athletes training for this event because those athletes, they had to train for 10 months. It was a 10 month training course that they had to undertake. And the final court event that they had to take just to be accepted to enter into the games was a huge endurance march that they had to run. And if at any time they failed or didn't meet the standard, they were out. But only then, after the 10-month period, would they be allowed to enter into the games. Paul would have observed these men, surely, and thought, there's something in these men. There's something naturally in these men. They're disciplined, they're focused, they've got a purpose, they've got a hunger. How much more of us who have an eternal purpose as Christians should have that level of discipline for us spiritually? They run for a perishable crown, but I tell you what, I'm running for an imperishable crown. That's the discipline. That's the discipline and the focus, and that's what he saw, and that's why he brought that revelation into the Corinthians there, speaking to the Corinthian church. I discipline my body. I beat it in subjection. I do not let the lust of the flesh dominate me, but I let the Spirit of God dominate what I am doing and what God is calling me to be. The ultimate purpose... The Apostle's overwhelming passion to fulfill what God had placed in his heart to achieve at all costs, to stay faithful and to fight to the very end. He did not presume he would automatically persevere, but he had a desire and he had a passion to do it. And I want to ask you today, what has God placed in your heart? And I want to ask you, how much do you want it? How much do you desire the things of God and what he has placed in your heart to achieve? Because if you desire it that much, no matter what you face, no matter what obstacle you hit, as tough as it may be, you will persevere. And you'll fix your eyes on the bigger picture. You'll face that hill head on You'll know the promises over the top of that hill, regardless of the pain you've got to go through to get up to it. You won't look down to the donut van, but you'll keep your eyes fixed on the bigger picture. Amen? Amos 6.1 says, Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. God is raising up a new generation of people that are rising up, who are going to fix their eyes like never before, before onto that ultimate prize the desires and the dreams that he's placed inside you. He's stirring up anew, and he's stirring up afresh, and he's raising up a people who arise and shine every day. Discipline themselves with the spiritual disciplines and achieve the ultimate purpose, not the distractions of this age, its lies, its deceit, its hollow promises that are time and time and time and time and time time again failing you, but the ultimate purpose that brings the ultimate satisfaction and brings the ultimate prize. Philippians 2.16 Again, Paul writing to the church in Philippi. Holding fast the word of life. Hold fast the word of life every single day so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Let's not labor in vain. Or let's not run in vain. The race that God has set before you. Amen. Let's stand to our feet here this afternoon Kensington Kenson Temple and let's just bow our heads as we pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each and every person here. I pray for all the dreams all the desires that you've sown into their hearts that they will begin again to be awakened no matter where they previously may have fallen that they will arise once again that they shall focus their eyes on the bigger picture of you Christ Jesus crucified and the purposes that we have for the advancing of your kingdom during this time Father, I pray for a people that are rising up, who are taking a hold of the spiritual disciplines, again, afresh and anew. They're prioritizing their lives. They're prioritizing their finances. They're prioritizing their interests. They're prioritizing their relationships. They're prioritizing their studies. They're prioritizing their time for you, Christ Jesus. They're seeking you like they've never seeked you before they're going to be strong in their lanes running the race with perseverance fixing their eyes on the ultimate goal and we're going to hear those words well done my good and faithful servants father we thank you for the power of your spirit to quicken our souls to stir us up afresh and anew to do what you desire us to do and i pray for a fresh outpouring of your spirit in power and in grace during this time. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen, amen. God bless you, Katie.